I'm going to be talking about the story that Gordon read to you about when the angel Gabriel came and met with Mary. And it's called the Annunciation in fancy words. But this is where she learns about what her mission is in life, to be the virgin that was promised 750 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. There was going to be a virgin. She was going to give birth to a son who would be named Emmanuel, you can read in the Hebrew Scriptures, which means God with us. Somehow this virgin who was going to be giving birth to someone named God with us was going to be giving birth to one called, in the words of Isaiah, that great Hebrew prophet, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Israel was waiting for that for years. And then Christmas happened. We just sang, hark, the herald angels sing. Lots of angels in the Bible. I mean, you see them back in the book of Genesis as they're guarding the garden. You see them all throughout the writings of Moses and through the prophets. And there's an innumerable host of angels, a multitude that we read about in Luke. But in the Bible, there's only three named angels. There's Lucifer. Boo. He's the great rebel who hates Jesus Christ with all of his might wants to destroy men and women that are made in his image. There's Michael. I kind of think of him like the Rambo. When God decides it's done and someone has to show up and declare God's wrath and execute, Michael's the man. Then there's Gabriel. He stands in the presence of the holy God, and he seems to be the one that when God wants to deliver good news, he sends Gabriel. He's kind of the herald of peace. Well, Gabriel is the one who... who who bypasses important cities right now. I mean, if, if you're getting ready to come from heaven, from God, with the greatest news ever that the one promised for thousands of years through Adam and Moses and David is coming, surely you're going to do it in some place like Athens or Antioch or Rome or Jerusalem. Nope. Nazareth. Pure-blooded Jews hated Nazareth because it was like a mongrelized place filled with, with Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, kind of a, a sleeping place, a truck stop of sorts for Roman soldiers and Gentile merchants. And they kind of dwelt there and intermarried there. It was called by Jesus, Galilee of the Gentiles. Even Nathan was the one who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's where Gabriel showed up. Yeah, he bypassed an important city, and he bypassed important people. Oh, man, he could have visited with patriarchs and priests and elders and scribes and kings and emperors and all kind of men of noteworthiness and wealth and privilege and power. Here comes Gabriel, the one who comes from God's presence with the, with the message of good news, and he bypasses all that, and he shows up in Nazareth to a poor, young, teenage girl. Now, we're educated in these days, and we know that men are not more significant than women. 
But back in that culture, you didn't show up with big news and herald it to a poor, young, teenage girl. Even if she was a, a virgin. Even if she was betrothed to some guy named Joseph, who, by the way, is kind of like a Mr. Nobody from a Mr. Nobody's place. But what we see is that this is what Gabriel does. So he shows up bypassing all that society thinks is important. And now he comes and he ministers to this woman named Mary. So out of nowhere he shows up and Gabriel goes, Greetings! That's in the imperative tense, which means this. I command you right now to be happy, be of good cheer, and rejoice. This is what she says. He says to her, rejoice. And now she's sitting there going, who are you? What's going on? Why should I rejoice? And he says, because I've got two reasons. Mary, you have found favor with God. That means presently right now, God is giving you in the passive voice, favor. You are filled with favor. You are full of grace, Mary, but not because you've done anything, but because God has filled you with grace. You are a reservoir of grace. He has poured it upon you, and because God is not your enemy, and you are full of the favor of God, the Lord is with you. This is very different from the Lord who holds people at an arm's length and says, you can't come in my holy place. You can't come up on my holy mountain. You can't see my face. No, Mary, you're full of favor and the Lord is with you. He's fellowshipping with you. How does she respond? With fear. I mean, angels throughout the Bible, sometimes they're, they're messengers, they're guides. They lead people in worship. We see them uh, standing guard sometimes beside the Garden of Eden. We see them showing up with swords when Balaam is getting ready to go down the, the path. We see them as annihilators. When Sodom is getting ready to go down, God sends two angels that way. A whole host of them are encamped against Sennacherib when Assyria was doing Israel wrong. And in the book of Revelation, here they stand with bowls of wrath ready to be poured out. Mary's not quite sure what's going on. She's trying to discern what's going on, what the meaning of all this is, but she is struck with fear, and Gabriel looks at her and says, I'll give you another command. I've already given you the command. Rejoice. I mean, you should rejoice. Be glad. The Lord's with you, and you have his favor. Rejoice. But now I command you, fear not. Why? He says it again. Because the Lord has favored you. The Lord has graced you. You're one of the Lord's favored, or maybe even you might say favorites. Isn't that neat? But I'll give you another reason why you should rejoice and not fear. Because I have something for you to do. Okay, good. Mary, the Lord has sent me with a message. You're going to be a mom. All right. Of a son. Cool. You don't get to pick his name, Mary. As a matter of fact, 
No man gets to pick the name of this child. I am Gabriel, I come from God, and I come. His name will be, in the Hebrew, it would be Joshua. In the Greek, it is Jesus. He is the one who comes to save his people and help them enter into the promised land of paradise. His name will be Jesus. And Mary, here's the really astounding point. Do you know why you will not name this child? Do you know why Joseph will not name this child? Do you know why God is naming this child? Because that which was promised to Isaiah 750 years ago is coming to pass. Jehovah, Yahweh, will be the father of this child. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will reign on David's throne. He will be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Of his kingdom there will be no end. This is he. We started talking about this one way back in Genesis. There's going to be a seed that's going to stomp on Satan's head. There's going to be a lamb that is slain for the sins of his people. There's going to be a lamb that leads to Passover, that lets God's people be, escape their bondage. All of those sacrifices, it was pointing to him. The prophets pointed to him. Mary, the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, and the king is going to be in your womb called Son of the Most High. You're going to be the mother. At this point, she's got questions. How is this going to happen? I mean, she is a student of the Hebrew Scriptures. You'll see that in the Magnificat when you read about all the things she knew from the Hebrew Scriptures that her mom and dad must have told her. How? I mean, I do remember that back in Isaiah's day, it says a virgin will conceive the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the God with us. How? I guess it's not going to be Joe. Is it going to be some other fine Jewish fellow? Is it going to be Gabriel? No, Mary. Mary, do you remember how God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and they were without void and without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep Genesis 1, 1 and 2 but the spirit of God hovered Mary do you remember that story that you learned about how when Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt to the mountain Moses kept everyone around the base of the mountain he and Joshua were allowed to go up then he even went up further and what ended up happening the cloud came down and hovered over the mountain. Do you remember later when God gave instructions to build the tabernacle? Precise instructions. And when the holy priest went in, the Shekinah glory of God came and filled the tabernacle. This is the exact same thing that will happen later to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But this is that idea of overshadowing. The Holy Spirit the power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you, will overshadow and impregnate you. And Mary, in case you didn't get it before, God is the one naming because God is the Father. This is the Son of the Most High. This is the Son of God. He will be called Holy. This is the Messiah that you've been waiting for the wonderful counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. Then he gives her some encouragement. Mary, you have an older, barren relative named Elizabeth. She's still old, but she's not barren. She's pregnant with a son. And it's six months. She's almost finished with that second trimester. We're into the third trimester. Mary, I just want you to know miracles are happening. Why did God tell her that? Maybe as a sign of confirmation. If you're having a hard time believing that this is really going to be true, maybe uh, you need to go see Elizabeth and see that she is true. And let, her, let Elizabeth tell you and Zechariah, who can't talk right now because he's been muted by God, let them say what the Lord has done there. Maybe it's because Elizabeth is old. And maybe a helpful Mary could be a benefit to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Or maybe it's the exact opposite. Mary is a 12 to 14 year old teenage girl. She's going to be viewed as bad and crazy. People still think the story's nuts. And maybe she's going to need a mom and dad figure who will believe what she's doing, what the Lord is doing in her life. Then Gabriel ends by quoting Scripture. Gabriel reminds her, nothing is impossible with the Lord. Where did that Scripture come from? For with God, nothing is possible. There once was this man named Abraham who was married to this woman named Sarah who was barren and old. And God said to them, you're going to have a child. And after a while, Sarah waited and waited. And I guess Abraham tried and tried. And it didn't work. And it didn't work. And God comes again and makes the promise. You're still going to have that child, Sarah. And the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, she laughs. And God says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. <laughs> you laughed. And God looked at her and said, with God, all things are possible. Jeremiah quotes that same phrase in his writing. With God, all things are possible. Jesus will quote that over and over again as the rabbi teaching. With God, all things are possible. And Gabriel here says, Mary, just remember that. With God, all things are possible. How is Mary going to respond? I think Gabriel might be a little bit nervous if angels get nervous. I don't know if they do or not. I mean, he had just delivered good news to Zechariah, and he disbelieved. How's Mary going to respond? And she has so much to lose. She's going to be viewed as carnal or crazy, so she's going to lose her reputation. She's going to lose her man, Joseph. She's going to lose all the benefits that came with marriage in that day for women in that culture. If she ever was going to get married, she's now used goods. And so the quality of man she's going to be able to find at that point is not going to be great. She has a real potential of losing her church and being excommunicated. Do you remember how Joseph wanted to put her away quietly, divorce her quietly? Do you remember how the Pharisees dragged the woman caught in adultery before Jesus and was going to, they were going to throw stones at her? She could lose her life. And for the rest of her days, harm was going to come upon her son as they were going to call him bastard. 
how is she going to respond? With one of the most beautiful and bold declarations in all of Scripture. Behold, I am your servant. I have heard the Lord's word. Let it be. Bring it on. Let's play ball. Let's do this thing. Gabriel sees incredible, bold, courageous faith from a young teenage girl. And he exits the scene. Mission accomplished. So now, what does this have to do with us as we wrap this up? Mary, you know, there's big debates right now. Big debates between those who say Mary is a a reservoir of grace, ready to give grace to people who need it. And other people over here going, Mary's not a reservoir of grace. Didn't you hear what Joe just preached? She's a recipient of grace. And maybe at times I've been over here, but today I might stand here in the middle and go, it's both if you get the order right. She is a recipient of grace, no doubt about it, who then graces the world as she is the one who delivers Jesus Christ, the hope of all the nations, the gospel in human flesh, which I'll tell you, by the way, when we end is who we are, recipients of grace called to grace other people. So let's walk through this for a second. Mary was not sinless. Mary is a product of Adam and Eve, and your Bible tells you that the sin nature passes on from Adam and Eve through every single person that no one's righteous, no, not one. So Mary is sinful. That's why she needs to receive favor or grace from the Lord, which she did, which is why the Lord now can fellowship with her because he gives her grace. This is who Mary is. She's a recipient of grace. That's who Joe is. That's you, my friends, if you're in Christ Jesus. You are people who are born in sin. You haven't kept the laws. You're guilty. And yet God sent the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He promised he would do it. Israel practiced this forever, and he actually did it. He then favors people. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is someone who is receiving favor from God. Anyone who says, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to be condemned. I deserve to be cast out from his presence like Adam and Eve were from the garden. But yet I trust in the Lamb of God. I'm not putting his blood on the mantle, on the top and on the sides of my door. I'm trusting in Jesus who was the sacrifice. You can be favored from God, brought into fellowship with God, And God moves in, takes up residence. He tabernacles with you. He fellowships with you. He communes with you. This is who Mary is. This is who we are if you are in communion with his son. This has been the whole plan that he has had from the beginning to the end. And so now we have Mary who is favored and fellowshipping. And we have us who are favored and fellowshipping. We are recipients of grace. Mary is then given her commission. Mary, I've got work for you to do. Actually, it's work that I'm going to do. 
in some way, maybe you're going to partner with me, but it's going to be like a three-year-old partnering with a dad on a paddle boat. Dad's doing the labor. Maybe the kids' feet are moving a little bit, but this is not a joint partnership. Mary, because I'm almighty, because I'm powerful, I'm taking you, the unlikely one, and we're going to do the impossible. And you are going to give birth to the king of grace, to the Messiah, to the gospel. And you are going to bless the whole world by your doing so. And this is who we are, Christians. Jesus Christ does the same for us now. He looks at us, and how did we sin this week? I don't need to know. It's really bad. And what do we deserve? The Bible says in the Old Testament, the sin that, soul that sins, it shall die. But the Bible also starts talking about in the book of Psalms how God takes our sins and puts them behind his back and doesn't remember them anymore. How does he do that? Through what Isaiah writes, the suffering servant who is stricken for the sins of his people. And Jesus Christ is offering salvation to us that anyone who wants grace can have it. And you can have fellowship with God. It's not based on your performance, your earning, but based on his free gift. That's why it's called good news and why the angels, hark, are singing. This is here for us. Then what? He commissions us. We're his saints, his priests, his Marys, his Max. We are his people who, though we are not going to be overshadowed and impregnated by him, we are going to be indwelt by him and given a commission to go forth into all the world and preach the gospel. And yes, we're insignificant. The rest of the world looks so important and everybody kind of mocks us and our reputation doesn't look so good right now. But it's not about us. It's what God chooses to do as he does the impossible through the unlikely. And this is what he's calling us to do. He is calling us to be recipients of grace that aren't reservoirs that just swim in it, but become sprinklers, just spewing it all over the place, just sharing it. That's what I tell people I do. All I do all day long is just sh share grace. If you need like food, if you need drink, if you need a friend, come talk to me. I got grace for you. If you need to know how you can be reconciled with God, come talk to me. I'll tell you what the scriptures say. And then if you need to know what good counsel looks like, like how God would have you do things in life, come talk to me. All I got is grace for you, no condemnation. That's what you're supposed to be doing too. Recipients of grace, just throwing it out there. Yeah, you're not that special, not that good. But he is. And he does incredible work through insignificant people. It reminds me of one song, The Little Drummer Boy. He's invited to come to King Jesus. King Jesus is in the crib, in the manger. He sees the big gifts people are bringing. He doesn't have that. All he's got is this little drum, rum-pa-pum-pum thing. He brings it with him and he gets there and everyone's giving their gifts and I have no gift to bring, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, to lay before the king, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. 
But then he looks at Mary, and Mary looks at him in the song. She nods her head. So I'll just play my drum for him. And then the song talks about how the baby smiles. I think that's what Christ does for us. He sees us uh, insignificant people, mocked by the world, filled with the Spirit, doing impossible things through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us. So that's what I'm asking us to do. Can 2024 be the year where Horizon Church just plays our drum and watch God use insignificant people to make music for him, which draws attention to him? Or using another metaphor found in Scripture, much is made throughout the Old Testament Scriptures about the light. That God's people are to be a light on a hill. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ said, we're supposed to be the lights of the world. That we're supposed to shine so that people can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And so this has become a tradition in a lot of churches, and we do this here at Horizon as well, as we start with one candle, the Christ candle. And as we sing Silent Night, friends beat their drum or just share their light one with another. And by the end of the song, the whole place is lit. Friends, Greenville, South Carolina is filled with darkness, and Jesus Christ remains the light of the world, but we are his candles that he lights on fire and would love for us just to share. We are recipients of grace, called to give grace, and now you understand why we did the four sermons the way we did. We have a father who gives gifts, a son who gives gifts, a spirit who gives gifts. And together they form a church that is generous and just gives grace over and over again.